This is a reading from Genesis 3, 1 to 24. The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, Don't eat from it and don't touch it, or you will die. The snake said to the woman, You won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then they both saw clearly and knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. Verse 20. The man named his wife Eve because she is the mother of everyone who lives. The Lord God made the man and his wife leather clothes and dressed them. The Lord God said, The human being has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now so he doesn't stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. The Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to farm the fertile land from which he was taken. He drove out the human to the east of the garden of Eden. He stationed winged creatures wielding flaming swords to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. I'm really grateful that you joined us today, and my prayer for you is that this would be a transformative experience, not just today, but every time that you tune in. Today, we are talking through Genesis chapter 3, and it's an incredible chapter, and I want us to work through this chapter and see what it says about what happened back then, literally eons ago, and how it relates to my life and your life today. So our series is called The Best Stories Ever, and today's topic is Grace in the Garden. We're looking at the major stories of the Old and the New Testament and finding the application for our lives and the redemptive pieces that lead to Jesus. So today, as we look at Genesis 3, we're going to look at what happened to Adam and Eve and the serpent and how God related to each moment of it and how it relates to every one of our lives. So the New Testament pattern does reflect the Old Testament pattern as we see in the Garden of Eden. And then so James chapter 1 verse 14 says, Everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They are lured away and enticed by them. In verse 15, once those cravings conceive, they give birth to sin. And when the sin grows up, it gives birth to death. I think this is the progression of the human condition of sin. Once the fall occurred, I believe this is the progression of our minds and of our actions. And so the first idea that I want to give us out of Genesis 3 is the birthplace to this progression, and that is doubt. In Genesis 3, starting in verse 1, it says, The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. 
He said to the woman, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the snake, we may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat from it and don't touch it or you will die. And the snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will clearly see, or you will see clearly, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was beautiful, with delicious food, and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit, ate it, also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then they both saw clearly and knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. So the serpent first comes to Eve and says this, did God really say? So this number one proves to me that women have significance in the scriptures no matter what, that they play an important role and also a significant, significant figure in scripture. Yet this scripture shows us that not only are men and women to know the scriptures, all of us need to be able to do work with the scriptures because people can be weak, all people can be overwhelmed, all people can be overcome with the craftiness of doubt. It does overwhelm us. So the serpent is the crafty one. And the word in the Hebrew language, although it does mean serpent, it has some variation. And Hebrew does have variation to its meaning. It's a beautiful language. It has the meaning of something that is shiny. Not just snake or serpent. It's something that shines. So when you think of a serpent, you think of that serpent after the story, after the fall. And there's an indication here that right at the center of the garden, the serpent is one of the most beautiful things in the garden. So you might think, how in the world could Eve be tempted by a snake? Well, we have that picture of a snake coiled around a tree. And it didn't look like that. It's more of a metaphor. It was something beautiful. It was something shiny. It was the squirrel moment where we see shiny things and we're on focus and squirrel and we chase after whatever is the most attractive. So we need to realize that there's no match for doubt. There's not one of us who can be a match for doubt. Doubt can overwhelm us, but Jesus is our victory, even over doubt. Satan is the author of doubt, but Jesus is our victory over doubt. Martin Luther said of Satan, no man is able to outwit the devil. We ask for Christ's help. There's the power. There's the ability to overcome the doubt. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So I really desire to encourage you and say that we cannot win on our own. We were not created to win on our own. We were created in community. We were created in relationship. And we need one another in those relationships to overcome those temptations of doubt. And we have someone who can win for us, and it's Jesus. And because of the kind of relationship that God wanted to have with us, and God didn't want to just have a relationship like everything else that he created. He created us in his image, the Salem. 
in his image he created. We learned that in the in his image message. When God created human beings in his image, he declared that this creation, there was a relational connection that leads to worship. This is in Latin called the Imago Dei, the image of God, a beautiful picture of we were created to worship. We were created to be in relationship that would lead to worship. So since we were created in this relationship and we were created to worship God and we are surrounded by created things, and here's the, here's the issue, we're surrounded by created things, so therefore we as human beings have a choice of worship. We're the image bearers of God, like we learned, the shadow cast the image of or the, the reflection of and we have a choice in that. As we're surrounded, we're to worship the creator or we have a chance of worshiping created things. It's very important to understand this in ourselves that that is the choice, worshiping the creator or worshiping created things. It's very important to understand in this story that that was the choice for them. They actually took the role one step farther and that is the worship of self then not only did they, they discount the creator, they discounted all created things, really, to worship the self. And we call it the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the, the decision or the choice wasn't between good and evil. It wasn't between bad and good. That's not really the choice that Adam and Eve were making here. They took the fruit, they ate it, and the temptation right at that moment was to become like God. The temptation was to say this, maybe I have limits as a human being, and I know I have limits as a human being, but there's a way. It's God's creation. I'm the image of God. I can overcome those limits not only am I the shadow, not only am I the reflection, I can overcome my limits and become like God, to become like God. And any time that we make the choice to not be creation and we, are, we attempt to be the creator, that's when doubt takes over. That's when we are in too much control of the things of our life. When all life becomes chaotic, we say, you know what, I'm gonna white knuckle grip this life of mine because God's not there. God's not in control. God's not in it for me. God's not for me and we have this doubt, I'm gonna take over. I'm gonna be the creator of my own destiny versus putting that in the hands of God and saying God is the author of my future. What's really interesting is Eve's response in this whole thing, because the woman said to the serpent here in chapter three, we may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat from it. And she said, and don't touch it or you will die. So she changed two things in the scripture. She first left out a word and she included some words. And that may seem little, but I think it's really important in this section. God had said that you may freely eat from any tree of the garden. Freely eat from any tree of the garden. So Genesis 1, 29, Eve said, we may eat from the tree, any tree of the garden. 
She left out the concept of freely. And this could have some significance that, that when we change the story, sometimes we restrict ourselves. And if we change what was said, sometimes we put limitations on ourselves. God said that you would, could freely eat of any tree. And then God said, you may not eat of the tree. And Eve added, and you can't touch it either. So she took away from God's word and she added to God's word. And what's really interesting right there to me is that she actually limited herself and, and creation limited herself even more than God's command of not eating of this tree. And that's the birthplace of doubt. When we begin to to want or desire the, the created things over the creator, we then start changing the story. Same thing happens in relationship with people. When we no longer believe in one another and we have doubt in one another, we assume things. We single story people. We single story God. God is the cosmic killjoy. He hates everything that I am. He is not for me. So we have a lot of assumptions and we have a lot of single story and we read into it. We add to people's words. We add to God's word. We take away from the story and people's story. We take away from, from God's word. So if we would listen and hear and actually open our minds and know what God is saying and hear what God is saying and put it to practice in our life, you know, I would have to say that God probably is a little less limiting than we limit ourselves. I mean, you think about the history of the church and how the history of the church, we limited ourselves so much in things that God didn't even say. God didn't even command. And here we are putting ourselves in this tighter constraint of life and unhappiness and lack of joy. So I think if our minds, and doubt, and doubt, and I think if our minds stayed at doubt, because sometimes I think that doubt could be a, a good place too, because doubt motivates us to grow and to learn. So just because you're tempted and just because you have some doubt doesn't mean that you're going to dive headfirst into a pool without water. So doubt many times motivates us to grow, many times motivates us to learn. It's when doubt festers inside of us, when we give it too much weight in our life, it festers into something else. And I think that that's the next step of the human condition of sin is not only doubt and the mind and the thoughts of adding to or taking away the truth, it's now deception and we are deceived. So the snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the deception right there is that they actually can become like God. And what's really bad and what's the worst kind of lie is the lie that's mixed with the truth. And what's even worse than that lie that's mixed with the truth is the, is the lie that's, that has elements of truth in it and there's just a couple of words or thought changes. And that's the kind of lies that really can deceive. They're the ones that really can get at us or get to us and it gets, gets underneath us and in us and then it confuses us and then we start basing our choices or our thoughts or our ideas or our belief systems on basically a lie 
And so this whole idea, this deception of that you will know good and evil and you will be like, you will be God, basically, it kind of sounds good. I want to know good and evil. And, and so that sounds good, and, I, and, and she liked it, but she didn't realize that, that she was breaking the command and breaking the instruction and bringing about, about curse and bringing about the curse of knowing good and evil. So I know that some of us that are listening, and me too, we struggle right now. There are a lot of things that we have to ingest and absorb and hear and are just being thrown at us that are a mincing of words, a mixing of truth and lies, and where a lot of us are being like deceived, and a lot of us are, are like confused and mixed emotions towards, towards things in life and our, and our culture. And you might even feel cheated. You might feel deprived. You might even feel like God is not there for you. God is not holding on to you. God is not present for you. Life owes me something. Life, people owe me something. There might be a lot of anger inside of us. And I, and I think that that emotion and that result of, of the, the mixing of truth and lie, the anger, the confusion, that's the result of deception. That's the result of doubt. We begin to doubt, then we're deceived. And then next, not only doubt, not only deception, but then we move into desire. And that's when the other things, no longer the creator, but the created things, that's when we start focusing. Our eyes are like staring at that object, that thing, that idea, that mixed truth. There has to be the grass is greener on the other side. There has to be a different way. There's more to add to my life. I'm taken from, therefore I'm going to take from others. And so we see that, that the deception turns into desire. They saw the fruit of the tree. It was good for food. They saw the fruit of the tree. It was pleasing to the eye. They saw the fruit of the tree. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. Good for food, pleasing to the eye. It was pretty. And they desired gaining wisdom. It all sounds, it sounds good. And Paul actually says and calls it out in, in some of his letters where he says the flesh is pleasure, possessions, and power. Pleasure, possessions, and, and power. And they're right here in the beginning. It was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. It was desirable and ga uh, for gaining wisdom. And so Paul's pleasure, possession, and power, that godlike power, that's right here in the beginning. So their desire grew. And their desire grew so much that this is called the fall, and it's the condition, the progression, the human condition of, of sin is doubt turns into deception, which turns into desire, and then finally we make the unfortunate 
decision. And all of us know what it's like to be tempted. And all of us knows what it's like to be tempted to the point that you get to desire and it grows and grows and grows and you start making choices based on certain things. And sometimes it's so difficult to say no. It's so difficult to say no to people that love us. It's so difficult to say no to the system. It's so difficult to say no to what we're used to and the patterns of our behavior and the patterns of our, of our history. It's, it's difficult to say no to certain things because patterns and and systemic things are rooted in us for generation after generation after generation. And we make decisions, even subconsciously, we make decisions based on the desires that are told to us that are good. They're told to us that are good because the culture has been deceived. Therefore, we have desires. Therefore, we make decisions. And we think that those decisions decisions are good. Well, I have to say right now that, you know, yeah, Adam and Eve made this decision, but I have to confess something to you that I would say that I probably would have done the same thing. I love God. I love Jesus. And if I was put in that situation and I had the temptation of the most beautiful thing in the garden, which I thought was okay, and maybe, you know, God, like, brought about this moment, and I thought, well, okay, I'm, this thing is talking to me and telling me that this is okay, and it doesn't seem like it's bad, and my represent, representatives, like my wife, standing right next to me, Eve, you know, it's like, we both think it's okay, and so, so I think that Adam and Eve are kind of representatives of us all. They're basically showing us that, that we could be, that could be any number of us in that situation. And that is us. And that's why Paul calls it out in the New Testament. And that's why we have this progression of sin. We have this progression of the human condition of doubt and deception, desire and decision. And ultimately, and unfortunately, it leads to a spiritual death. It leads to our, what the Bible calls the, the destruction. And all of us um, have experienced separation from God. And through Jesus, we were brought together with God again. And so we felt distant and we were brought together. Yet in our decisions, we, we have like, like we have reminders of our, our doubt, reminders of our, in our decisions, in our relationship with Jesus, like we, we doubt, we are deceived, we desire and we decide and, and we feel and experience separation as well. And so, so I think that Adam and Eve are all of us. We all end up in that, in that situation. We all end up in that place. So when it comes to my decisions in life, when I think about how I decide things, I need to tell you over the last several weeks, and I'm just going to be honest, just listening to, to a lot of just back and forth and opinions and ideas and angers and judgments and criticism and just a lot of negative emotions flying around in the last handful of weeks. I think it's just, you know, pandemic and issues in our culture and just a lot of stuff that all of us have 
have dealt with, and I, and I just thought of this one thing, that I need to make all of my decisions, all of my decisions, based on the creator versus the created. I need to, the filter of my decisions need to be based on the creator, based on his character, based on his nature, based on his mission, based on his values, based on the person of God. That's who I need to make my decisions. That's my filter. And his word is a, a blueprint. His word is an instruction manual. His word is a guide. His word is, is a trail for me to follow in that decision-making process. If I make my decisions based on money and hurt and anger and possessions and stuff and gaining more and wealth and all these things, I mean, those things can be tools for us to... to do life with, like a paycheck is a tool, but yet when I make decisions of significant character-altering things or my morality or my, my ethics, when I start making decisions of following or breaking God's command based on money or based on wealth or based on hurt or based on fame or popularity or getting in the good with other people or they like me, I want them to continue to like me, it's very dangerous for us to enter into that, um, that mode of life. Romans 5.12 says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So not only did they die, but then generation after generation after generation, we now have the fall. We now have the, the fall of humankind, and we have this progression of the human condition of sin. Yet there is a great promise, and I'm going to leave you with this great promise because I'm not going to just give you bad news without the good news because I think there's a lot of good news in Genesis 3, and it starts in verse 20. The, the man named his wife Eve because she is the mother of everyone who lives. And then verse 21, the Lord God made the man and his wife leather clothes and dressed them. The Lord God said, the human being has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, so he doesn't stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to farm the fertile land from which he was taken. He drove out the human to the east of the Garden of Eden. He stationed winged creatures wielding flaming swords to guard the way to the tree of life. And I find that a beautiful, beautiful, hopeful message. Because in verse 20, we see that Adam changes his wife's name from the Hebrew Ishshah, which means out of man or woman. He changes the name from Isha to Shava, which means life. So from out of man, woman, to life. From Isha to Shava. But also in verse 21, we see this covering. In order to make leather clothes, you need an animal skin. And right in the midst of this passage, we see a sacrifice of the animal to cover their shame, their metaphoric shame. 
And so it's a beautiful, beautiful picture right here in the midst of of the, the separation that God is still present. God is still there. God is still for them and they're his children and he wants relationship with them. And so, so through, this, through this whole debacle of progression, we see that, that God gives them life and he covers their shame. And so this is what God does for us that through the sacrifice of Christ, our shame is covered. We are redeemed. Through Christ, we are redeemed. So out of doubt and deception, decision and death, comes the promise and the gift of redemption and life. And that, my friends, is the best, best story ever. That's grace right in the midst of the garden grace in the midst of garden. Jesus sits around a table and he tells us to take this bread and to take this wine, this juice, this fruit of the vine. And he says, do this in remembrance of this. I give you life and I take away. In, in Jesus, there is no shame. There is no shame. And so when we take the bread and we take the juice. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of the redemptive gift and life and the promise that I, that I love you and I'm coming back for you. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. Father, thank you for the redemption, the forgiveness, the grace, and the life that you give us. Thank you that we see this in the very first stories of your word, Lord, in Genesis. Help us to remember, Lord, that we are to make decisions based on you versus everything else. Help us to use that filter. So Lord, thank you for Jesus and the love of Christ. Lord, and that love of Christ covers our sin. It covers our shame. And that now we can walk in a new life. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.